We are uh, on our Wednesday night Bible study. For those of you who are fairly new to this, what we do is we take a book of the Bible and we go through it one verse at a time. And uh, we are in the Old Testament. We started at Genesis, went back, I thought just, you know, we'll do a quick thing there, but we've been kind of caught up in it ever since. Uh, we pretty much go through one verse at a time, although we skip over big chunks of it because parts of it are just a lot of history and a lot of details and unbelievably boring. So we just, you can read it on your own time, but uh, we just find, kind of going through it and uh, focusing on some of the more significant uh, events in the Old Testament that kind of give us great analogies for our spiritual walk today. The Bible says we're supposed to learn from these people who went before us. Learn from the people who did it right, so we can be like them. Learn from the people who did it wrong, so we won't be like them. Okay, now, um, we are uh, in the book of Judges. Now, what's happened is, uh, um, you know, uh, God comes to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they make all these promises and Joseph eventually winds up in Egypt and for 430 years they're in bondage. Moses comes along, brings them on out in glorious fashion and establishes the nation of Israel as we understand it uh, today. And then Moses dies, and then they finally go into the promised land and take it over, Joshua and those guys, and they've all died. And now we are in the age of judges. And now we're going to start reading here. Things start getting really weird again. You remember how in Genesis we were reading stuff, and people just did bizarre, weird, strange kind of things? Okay, we're going to see those same kind of things now. What happens was, of course, in, in Genesis, there was just this vacuum of the knowledge of God and understanding who God was. It wasn't until Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob started giving sense, and Moses, as the lawgiver, gives them a sense of who God is and how to worship and stuff. Well, now he's died off. These guys have died off. Now these guys are all messing up again. The further they get away from God, the weirder their behavior gets. And some of these stories are a little kind of confusing and, and certainly uh, bizarre and some very disturbing, but we'll, we'll take a look at it. So anyway, we've just ended with the story of Gideon, fabulous story of Gideon, who takes 300 men and just wipes out this huge army. Uh, unlike the 300 Spartans who went in glorious fashion into battle, these guys won. <laughs> the Spartans all died. Anyway, um, so, uh, so Gideon becomes famous and uh, everybody loves him and, and brings him to a high esteem in the nation. He becomes very wealthy and uh, he has uh, 70 sons. The Bible says because he had many wives and concubines. Uh, he obviously <laughs> stayed pretty busy. <laughs> Seventy sons, and uh, you know, um, and that doesn't count the daughters, you know. So I don't. This guy just kicked back, enjoyed life, and apparently had sex all day long. <laughs> but anyway, so much for him. Um, so eventually dies. <laughs> Maybe because of all the activity, I don't know. But eventually dies, and. Uh, uh, it says here at the very last verse of chapter 8, um, talking about the people, they failed to show kindness to the family of Jeroboam. That's what they called Gideon for all the good things they had done. So they started falling away from God, and then they failed to show kindness to his family. Well, that's an understatement, to say the least, as we start into chapter 9. Now, to me, failing to show kindness means you don't wave at me as I drive by. Okay. Well, their version of failing to show kindness is a little intense here. So anyway, we have Abimelech, one of the 70, you know, sons plus whatever that uh, Jerob had. Uh, 
he went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and asked them all, uh, and said to them all and to all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jeroboam, whose Gideon's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I'm your flesh and blood. So he's appealing uh, to the citizens of Shechem and incites them, you know, have me be the ruler. Don't, don't have all these guys. It's too confusing. Have too many people in charge. So when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he's our brother, you know, he's got the same blood we got, you know. And so they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Barith, which was a pagan temple. I remember they're falling away from God again. And then Abimelech uses this money to hire a bunch of mercenaries, uh, reckless adventurers, who became his followers. And then he goes to his father's home in Ophrah, or Oprah, I'm not sure I don't know where you say that, but not the same lady on TV. But uh, home in Ophrah, and on one stone, this is his, their version of failing to show kindness, on one stone, he murders all 70 brothers. That's not very kind. Okay? So he kills, he wipes them all out, just a big bloodbath on one d- day. Except for Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar of Shechem to crown Abimelech king. So they're coming now to crown him a king. They've wiped out all the other guys. This big massive bloodbath, a lot of violence, big power play. Well, Jotham, the one guy who'd escaped, heard that they were uh, crowning Abimelech king. So uh, he climbed on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. He's hollering down at them because he doesn't want to go down there because they'll kill him. But he gets up in a position where he can yell down at them and talks to them. And, uh, and then he basically prophesies to them a very bizarre prophecy. You can read it on your own time. I want to read it. It's just very strange and odd, but I'm sure in their culture it made sense. But uh, anyway, basically tell them, you know, God's going to get you for this. Basically this. Well, uh, so anyway, Abimelech's king and, you know, the whole big thing with power and fighting. And they're all fighting people and stuff like that. And uh, um, uh, so Abimelech gets into this... Uh, situation where he's fighting uh, in verse 46 of chapter 9 um, and they're, they're all in this big battle and stuff like that and causing all these problems and hearing this the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the strong tower of the temple of el so these a whole bunch of people go running in there for safety and then when Abimelech heard that they had assembled there he and all his men went up to Mount Zalman and he took an axe and cut off some branches which he lifted to his shoulders and he ordered all uh, the men that were with him, quick, do what you've seen me do. So they all cut down all these branches and followed Abimelech. And they piled them against the stronghold, set it on fire over the people inside, so that all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, died. He basically burned them alive. This is not a very nice man. Okay, so first of all, he wipes out all his brothers and stuff for power, and now he's uh, coming against any kind of descent and kills all these people, burns them alive. And then it says, next, Abimelech went to Thebes, and besieged it and captured it. But inside the city, however, there was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city fled. And they locked themselves in it and climbed up on the tower roof. Well, Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it. But as he approached the entrance of the tower to set it on fire, he's basically going to repeat the same deal here. A woman, God bless her, doesn't say who it was, (laughs) drops an upper millstone on his head and cracks his skull. And she scores and just smashes this guy's brain and he's cracked open and he's bleeding so now you remember they didn't have uh emergency rooms and or any of those kinds of things when you would get 
a wound. It might take you hours and hours and hours to die, but they knew you were going to die. There wasn't anything anybody could do about it. They didn't have surgery or anything else like that. So he knew he was dead, even though he hadn't died yet. So his, his biggest concern was that a woman had done this to him. So he's freaking out. And hurriedly he calls his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. So they can't say a woman killed him. So, <laughs> this boy had serious issues. Okay? So his servant ran, runs him through with a sword and he died. And when all the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. And God also made the men of Shechem pay for all their wickedness and the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came upon them. So this big curse and stuff. So that's that bizarre, strange little story. Okay, and then chapter 10. Uh, after, this time, after the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar, Tola, son of Pua, Pua, however you say it, the son of Dodo, or Dudu, or how, I'm not sure how you say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't call your kids these names, by the way. Just If you're looking for names for your children, don't go to the Old Testament. Uh, anyway, so he rose to save Israel. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he led Israel for 23 years. Then he died and was buried in Shemer. And he was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. Uh, he had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys, uh, and controlled 30 towers in Gilead, which to this day are called Havath Jar, and then he dies, and he's buried in Cayman. So now we get the next guy. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served. God would raise up these guys, deliver them from their enemies, and they'd mess up again. Um, you know, I, I will actually talk about one thing that uh, uh, we talked about, this thing that Lathan was talking about. Uh, uh, we had met with the newspapers and uh, at the downtown and they wanted to know you know what were what were what our people are in our church doing you know surely they must be all freaking out because of of uh, the economy and stuff i said no no we're not freaking out we're praising god man and we're trusting god and we're not walking in fear and uh they talk about how this is a great opportunity to uh put our faith into practice you know we say you believe in god here's your chance you know things are getting hard trust God for your favor and stuff and God has been doing that God has been blessing our people and it's been a wonderful wonderful thing and while many many churches and even some of that were at this round table we're all talking about how they're losing people and money and stuff and you know our story has been the opposite and uh, um, you know one of the things that I think is good about this downturn economically in our country is it's kind of shaking people and they're waking up a little bit and reevaluating what's important in their lives Okay, because we're like these people. You know, when things would go really, really good, they would forget God. Kind of like people around us, and even sometimes us. Things go really, real good, and you think, well, I don't need God. You know, everything's under control. I've got my 401k and everything. Well, also they get y'all yanked away from you. Hello, reality check, and now you go running back to God. And uh, which is sad because you know, if it was up to God, He would just keep blessing people unendingly. He loves to bless people. But what happens is he starts blessing people. At some point, they cross a line where they think they don't need God anymore. And it's very foolish. So no matter how blessed you get, man, always stay thankful. And always praise God for your blessings. I don't care how many blessings you have or how great your job is or how big your retirement portfolio gets. Stay humble. Man, I would rather stay humble and blessed than humble and poor. But either way, God's going to get you humble. I would choose the former over the latter. So uh, anyway, so these guys had the same problem. They were always getting... 
trouble. They served the Baals, all these false gods, and the Ashereths, the god of Aram, and the god of Sidon, the god of Moab, gods of Moab, and the gods of Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines, all kinds of gods. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan and Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. And Israel was in great distress. Then the Israels cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals, which were the false gods. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, and the Sidonians, and Amalekites, and the Mayanites, Mayanites, sounds like mayonnaise, uh, oppressed you, uh, and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you've forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. You like crying out and trusting in your own little world? How's that working for you, God says. You know, go, go to those guys. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we've sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them, which was number one, because number one commandment, have no other gods before me. So they dealt with business, got right with God, and, uh, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So when the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped in Mizpah. The leaders of the Gilead said to each other, whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. Well, Jephthah, chapter 3, 11, chapter 3. Where did that come from? <laughs> chapter 11. Jephthah the Gileite was a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior. But he was a bit of an illegitimate child. His father was Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead was a naughty boy. Well, Gilead's wife also bore Gilead's sons. And when they were growing up, they got rid of Jephthah and got, got him out of there. You are not to get any inheritance in our family because you're the son of of another woman. Uh, there's another phrase, but we won't say that. But uh, They got rid of him. So he is the son of a prostitute, we don't want, even though he was a great mighty warrior. So he fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. So he basically has these guys, and he's got his little army and stuff like that. Tough bunch of tough guys. Well, sometimes later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to him from the land of Tob. Come, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. And Jephthah said to them, Well, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us and fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. And Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? And the elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will do as you say. So they basically vow and swear to God, and they always took those things very, very seriously. So here they, they gotten rid of the guy until they needed him, you know, and then they needed some warrior. They didn't have any good fighters, so they go to these band of Roman tough guys who are apparently really great fighters, beg him to come back, take over the army, and help us in this mess. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Okay, so blah, 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 lots of stuff there. Well then, uh, jump over to verse 29. And... Uh, we're about to read a, a highly disturbing portion of scripture here. And we'll do our best to try and uh, clarify it for, for anyway, our best effort. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. And he crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he advanced against the Ammonites. 
And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He swears to God, if you give me, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, when I return in triumph from the Ammonites, will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Bizarre, stupid thing to say. And God didn't tell him to say it. And it doesn't say that God ever responded to it. Uh, but God was using him to deliver. And again, remember these people, the further they get away from God, the more bizarre and twisted their view of God comes. So the guy basically swears to God, if you deliver me and, and help me win this battle, whoever I see first coming out of my house, I'll sacrifice them to you. Well, God doesn't want human sacrifices. I mean, it's bizarre. This is what this idiot does. Well, then when Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands, he devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Minneth, as far as blah, 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 all these names. Anyway, thus Israel subdued Ammon. Now, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourine? She was an only child. Except for her, he had no, neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. And she replies, Well, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you've promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites, but grant me this one request, he said. she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. <laughs> Be the least of my concerns. <laughs> but anyway, we'll come back to that and give some possible alternate interpretations of this. So anyway, he says, you may go. And he let her go for two months. And she and the, gir- and the girls went into the hills and they cried and they wept and they were sad because she would never marry uh, after the two months she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed and she was a virgin and from this comes Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite okay now as written it certainly sounds like he sacrificed the daughter to God um, uh, a lot of people would say that can't possibly be what happened because their argument would be they knew better. I don't know if they knew better or not. Again, these guys had very twisted views of God and who knows what this guy's uh, view of God was or how educated he was in the law of Moses or anything else. Um, But they say that because what they're weeping about isn't that she's going to die is because that she will never marry what a lot of people say is in fact what he did in the sacrifice was that he uh, offered her to God as a virgin and she would have to stay a virgin for the rest of her life and never marry and that's why the, the thing of everybody's crying because she'll never marry she's all going to cry because she'll never marry which will certainly make some sense I mean if I'm about to die you know my dating life wouldn't be a big priority to me okay so why they don't you think they'd all be crying because she's going to die Right? But not crying because she's going to die. They're crying because she's never going to marry. Okay? So uh, an alternate version of this. And, and then an Israelite custom comes from that. Where every year they go out and they remember and how sad that this girl, you know, it's kind of a romantic little thing. Girls get their all hearts up. Oh, how sad that girl never married. Uh, you know, and certainly to become an, a long-term tradition, it's highly unlikely that the Jews would have truly hung on to this celebration if in fact this guy had offered a human sacrifice to God. So, while it certainly sounds like that's what he did, certainly 
you know, as we just read, uh, many, 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 many Bible scholars would argue vehemently there's no way that that's what happened. What do I think? I don't know. I have no idea. So, I mean, I, I can... Uh, I can, look, I can go with either way. I mean, if he, he did it, it wasn't because God told him to do it. God had no part of it, and this guy just had a very twisted perspective of God, as we, a lot of these guys did during this period of time. Uh, and if it was that, then certainly a, a more palatable um, version. Uh, every once in a while, you will hear people who are uh, really anti-God, and very anti-Bible. They try to get into, you know, theological debates about stuff. And this is one of those kind of stories these people will pull out and say, well, why would, you know, you say your God is a righteous God, then why did God accept this human sacrifice, you know, da, da, da. Uh, and you'll kind of look at them and you won't even know what they're talking about. This is what they're talking about. They, they kind of like to try and use this and to fight against the, uh, their viewpoint. My argument to them was, look, would be, look, it's highly unlikely that's what actually happened because what they're mourning about more than anything is that she will never marry. So our assumption is, most people's assumption is that what he decided to do was as the sacrifice, she could never have a husband. I don't know. Uh, anyway, just very bizarre stuff. Okay, so now check it out. Now, you remember the last time they had this, this big battle? Uh, they had a big battle with, uh, I think it was Gideon. Uh, the people of, the men of Ephraim got mad because how come he didn't invite me to the battle? Very kind of odd, I don't know. So, anyway, Gideon basically placated them and kissed their behinds and, oh, you're wonderful and stuff, sorry about that, and then they were happy. Well, here we go again. Chapter 12. Um, the men of Ephraim called out their forces, crossed over Zapham, and said to Jephthah, who had had this big battle and won, Why did you go and fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. Serious overreactions these people would have. They talk about issues, man. I'm, I'm telling they would get insulted by the bizarrest things and we're going to see some even bizarre things coming up that would cause wars and stuff and how these people would react again it's a very dark time uh in israel's history as far as i look at this is this is uh the israeli version of uh you know the middle ages if you will uh just a lot of darkness a lot of confusion about who god is and and, and what he's all about so anyway they're gonna burn down the house so instead of jephthah basically placating them and say oh well you know blah 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 however gideon did it uh, Jephthah basically stuck it back at him and said, Look, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And then he claims that he called them. He said, Though I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me victory over them. Now, now why have you come up today to fight me? So he basically says, Yes, I did call you. A bunch of wusses. Where were you when I needed you? So anyway, this obviously didn't go over well. It took very little to get these people in this violent time to, uh, to go at each other's throats. So they basically had this big battle and they're fighting now. So Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and they fought against the guys from Ephraim. And the Gileads basically beat them up pretty bad. They, they struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you uh, Gileads, Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. So basically trying to insult them. And that's why they had this big battle because they were all insulted. Everybody's insulted. And the Gileads captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. And, and <laughs> here's another, this is a real kind of bizarre thing here. Uh, for those of you who really want to know your, you know, real intense little Bible trivia things, we're about to read one of them. It says, The Gileads captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, 
let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked them, are you an Ephraimite? If he replied, no, no, I'm not. So basically, so basically they beat these guys real, real bad. They took over these fords. These guys couldn't get in and out except crossing through the fords. So they would come and say, you know, could you let us pass? Because they controlled this thing. And they'd ask them if they were, well, are you an Ephraim? Well, no, 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 no we're not. And he says, all right, then say Shibboleth. And if he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly apparently the Ephraimites had a little bit of a you know southern drawl or something just a little bit different than the, the way they talked you know it would be like say you know no I'm not from the north would y'all let me through you know like that kind of thing would, would basically let you know hey these guys you know aren't on our side so if they couldn't pronounce the word correctly they would seize him and kill him ouch you know I'd really practice my SH's uh, if I were these guys so 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at this time during this battle. Um, and uh, Jephthah led Israel uh, for six years. And then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. Now, now here's the great analogy uh, about this whole shibboleth. And every once in a while you'll hear uh, a very educated people talking about, uh, even in politics, every once in a while you'll hear them pull this word out, shibboleth. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before. But they'll say... You know, if you don't say the right thing, in other words, you know how people have these uh, political, uh, you know, filters that you've got to, if you don't say just the right thing, you know, I mean, like the big cow they're having now because Miss USA didn't say the right thing about gay marriage, so that would have been considered a shibboleth. That's where this comes from. Because she didn't say the right thing. Now, therefore, she's banned. Therefore, she's punished and stuff. Or if you're, uh, you're on a certain side and you say a pro-life thing when you're not supposed to say the pro-life thing or pro- pro- whatever the thing is, they refer to that as a shibboleth. Every once in a while you'll hear somebody refer to that. It's a biblical term. That's where it comes from. And it basically is this. If you don't say the right thing the right way, we will kill you. And there are so many shibboleths in our country today. It is getting very, very nasty. And it's getting so sad. It's difficult for people to really, you know, we're in such political correctness. I mean, for that whole deal to just go down over this big contest, just because this lady said, look, you asked me, what do I think? I think it's, I think it should, marriage should be between a man and a woman, but I don't mean to insult anyone. It didn't matter. Shibboleth, shibboleth, shibboleth. And they, and they, and they basically hung her out to dry because she, she had said a serpent, shibboleth. Okay. And, uh, it's getting that way in the country more and more. It's getting very, very sad. Uh, I got to go to Canada tomorrow. Big shibboleth up there is you can't ever say anything about homosexuality at all in a negative term, even from the pulpit. You can be arrested. Shibboleth, shibboleth, shibboleth. That's all political correctness that we have in today's thing. You know, we, we say the, the, the very proponents of all these things claim to be real big on free speech as long as it's not a shibboleth, if it's shibboleth, and you can't say it. Okay, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can't say. Uh, Christians uh, historically have been very guilty of shibboleths. Um, and we've had all kinds of versions of it, you know. Uh, you can tell who belongs and who doesn't belong by the way they say something. You know, for example, I mean, there's a lot of people who uh, come to the church who were raised, you know, Catholic, to come to our church, you know. And it's not uncommon for them to say, you ask the question, you know, what time is Mass over? Right? Or when does Mass begin? You know? Well, in past times, that's a shibboleth! It's a Catholic sneaking into the place! Shibboleth! You know? 
And, you know, it's like, who cares, right? We don't care about stuff like that. So they call it, you know, they call me father sometimes. I don't care, you know. <laughs> father Mark, what time is the mass? I, I said, you know, 1030. I just, I just answer. I don't get into this big, oh, that's what we say around here. You know, all kinds of craziness. And uh, evangelical Christians have had their shibboleths for years. You know, you know, if you smoke a cigarette, he smokes. Shibboleth! Shibboleth! And we basically separate from these people and we mark them and we ban them. And the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking cigarettes. Now, if you smoke cigarettes, you're a nitwit. I mean, come on. I don't know if you've gotten the memo yet, but it's bad for you. <laughs> Maybe you haven't gotten that memo. But if you smoke cigarettes, so you smoke. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. To make it some kind of religious shibboleth. A pastor, doesn't the Bible say that? He who smokes in the now will surely smoke in the hereafter? <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. You want to smoke? Smoke outside. I don't care. Just don't smoke in here. You know, somebody drinks a glass of wine or a beer or something. You know, all these things that we, you know, you've got to say something just the right way or, you know, someone's, you know, it used to be real. It's not so crazy anymore. Thank God. You know, and certainly I fight against this all the time. And, and trying to erase, I'm trying to erase shibboleths in the church. That's a lot, a lot of the things that I do is try to, Let's not fight over stuff the Bible doesn't say anything about. I don't say anything about, you know, when I can go to a movie theater. Shut up! Now, I remember when we were in Stephen's Point. We were, uh, you know, the church was growing and we couldn't find a place to meet because we were just big enough that there was no place to meet. So we found this movie theater that said they would let us meet in there for like, what, it was $25 a week? $50 a week. You know how much a week it costs us to run this place? And don't get me into it. But anyway, $50. And we thought, praise God, this is great. So we could meet in the theater and stuff. And we didn't have to worry about a screen, man. It had a big old yo mama screen behind us. And, you know, we just praised God and stuff. And all kinds of people wouldn't go in that theater. Oh, Shibboleth! Shibboleth! It's a den of iniquity! Pastor, how can you go in that place? They share dirty movies when you're... Not when I'm in there, they're not. <laughs> Don't be so anal for crying out loud. Shibboleth! Shibboleth! All kinds of stuff. I mean, it just makes me crazy. One thing I taught our church when we were at Stevens Point and started talking about these things, I said, this is a shibboleth-free zone. No shibboleth. They don't mark people and put them in categories because they don't say the right things and... You know, some, some new people that come to church, they cuss like crazy. They cuss with, at me. I mean, not at me, but when they're talking to me. They don't think anything of it. I'm serious. I'm ser- <laughs> Can I tell you a couple of them? <laughs> this one guy comes up to me on the foyer. Now, that's not what I said. It's what he said. All right, and he'd been reading the Bible. Great, right? That's what we want. Why don't we read the Bible? He's reading about David. And David commits adultery. And he pulls me up and says, Pastor, he says, what the hell's with this son of a bitch David? 
the hell is that? <laughs> now I could have went, Shibboleth! Shibboleth! Now we don't generally encourage that kind of conversation around here. And I looked at him and said, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I have no idea. <laughs> just trying to relate to the man, you know. Just... <laughs> I don't know why any of you come here. But anyway, so that's that whole shibboleth. You know, if you don't say the right thing or act just the right way and just do things just the right way. You know, they're all over you. Little doctrinal things, you know, people used to look for all the time. You know, Christians, you know, I'm... I remember the 80s, you know, the big thing was everybody fought over the end times. Remember that? It was like everybody went crazy. You know, do you believe in the rapture? Do you think the rapture is pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? And Christians who would just get in a big fits and fights about that. (laughs) Pastor, what's your theology about that? I have the pan theology. I think it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> Arguing about things. Nobody has any idea. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if something happens in a different order than you thought it was going to happen? If all of a sudden the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation, you say, I ain't going. It should happen in the beginning. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> fighting over the stupidest things on earth. Anyway, no shibboleths around here. Love people where they're at. Be kind to people. Just don't buttonhole people. And Because you, know, you can tell a lot of people about, about the words that pop out of their mouths, can't you? You can tell very quickly, almost instantaneously, where their spiritual life is at. You know, and you can tell. Especially when they're cussing out in the foyer, you know. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have that guy preaching next Sunday or something like that. You know, certainly not about David, I'll tell you that. (laughs) But we just accept people where they're at and love people and encourage people. We don't have to get so freaked out because somebody says something that we don't. Shut up! Just do that on Sunday. For all the people who don't come here, they won't know what you're talking about. Did you say a shibboleth? <laughs> there, now you are now educated beyond your intelligence, and now you know what a you know what a shibboleth is. All right, let's look at chapter thirteen. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What a shock! So the Lord again delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for forty years. Now a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. Well, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see it, see to it that you do not drink, that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, very strictly by the law of Moses. Because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor. You're never supposed to cut his hair. No razor shall be used on his head. Because the boy, why? Because the boy is a Nazarite. It's a special vow, a special thing that they would take. Where they were basically taking this kid and setting him apart to God from birth. And delivering him 
uh, into God's hands and setting them aside as for, for God's purposes. So, is God against uh, fermented drink? Well, certainly against drunkenness, but no, any more than he's against razors or any of these other things. But it was just a sign of, hey, this is a different standard for this one. This was a special vow. This is going to be a special child. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Well, then the woman told her husband, went to her husband and told her, a man of God came to me. She thought it was a prophet. She didn't realize it was an angel. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome, this prophet. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah, the the dad, prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God, you said to us, come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Now I want you to see this. What's really unusual about these people's responses is they immediately believed the word that was spoken to them. They immediately believed. You remember when uh, the angel appeared... uh, you know, it's prophesying of the uh, birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah, was that the, the father's name? And he says, you're going to have a son. He says, well, how, how, how can this be? How's that not even possible? You know, I don't see how that can be. You know, most normal people, sadly, who are very unspiritual and very doubtful, would say, oh, how's that possible? You've never had a kid. You're as sterile as the day is long. I don't know how the world is going to happen. Blah, 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 blah. But immediately, these people embraced the word that came to them. Boy, if there's not a lesson there. Man, accept the word of God into your life. When you read the promises of God or the word of God comes as an encouragement to you. Somebody speaks to you and encourages you along spiritual lines. Don't reject those things. Well, I don't know. It could never work for me. You know, a lot of people, they just walk around stiff-arming people all the time. And they're basically stiff-arming God. And they're stiff-arming the word of God. And you try and encourage them, you know, this could happen or change. No, 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 no. No, 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 they're just constantly stiff-arming. Man, don't be like that. You'll never experience anything in your life except pain and misery. And you're on your own, man. Embrace the blessings. Embrace the encouragements. Embrace the Word of God into your life. So these guys reacted fabulously. And the only thing he prays the Lord is bring that guy back again so he can tell us how this is going to happen and how we're going to bring up the boy. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion in his mind. The Word's coming true. Absolutely believed it right off the bat. Well, God heard Manoah and the angel of God came to him again, to the woman, while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah wasn't with her. Uh, The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, he's there, he's there, he's there, the man who appeared to me the other day. Well, Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, "When when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? I mean, immediately just accepted his word. She wasn't pregnant yet at all. Hadn't seen anything. Hadn't experienced anything. Nothing had changed in the natural. All they got was one word from a man who seemed to be very spiritual. They didn't realize it was an angel yet. That's all it took for these people. Immediately grasped it. Immediately received it into their heart. And all he wanted to know is, how should we bring up the boy? First of all, how do you know it's going to be a boy, right? I mean, I mean, well, the angel said it was going to be a boy. Well, how do you know she's really going to get pregnant? I mean, you know, you know, none of that. Immediate acceptance. So, 
So that's what he asks them. He says, you know, well, well, how should we treat the boy? You know, how, how should he work? How, how should he live? Well, the angel of the Lord answered him, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine. Now he added just even a grape. Uh, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink or eat anything unclean. She must do everything I've commanded her. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we'd like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. You know, let's, let's stay for dinner. Uh, um, so they're all excited and, and they're thrilled that he's there and everybody's happy. The goat's not too happy, but everybody's happy and let's have dinner. And, and the angel of the Lord says, well, even though you detain me, I, I'm not going to eat any of your food, you know, because angel doesn't need to eat. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. See, Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord that was talking to him. Then Manoah inquired of the angel, what is your name so that we may honor you when your, when your word comes true? Listen, again, immediate acceptance. Who, who, who can we say when all this happens? Who can we give credit to? Uh, and then the angel replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. You'd never be able to understand my name. Some cool angel name, I'm sure. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And then the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. So they do this thing and, and they're offering up the sacrifice. And as the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel ascended in the flame. And off to the direction you go. Well, now that would freak the willies out of anybody. You know, if one of you come over and I'm barbecuing and all of a sudden you go up in the flame, I mean, I'm, whoa, whoa! This is, this is a little, little freaky. Well, seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the crown. Ah! And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, they realized that it was an angel from the Lord. And remember, their responses, whenever they thought they'd seen God or anything from God, everybody was scared to death. Because they had heard of, you know, Moses and stuff, and, you know, those who, if you were to see God, you would die, you can take it. So as soon as they see this go up and stuff like that, they freak and say, we're doomed to die! We're going to die! We're going to die! We're all dead! Because we've seen God! But his wife answered, look, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or told us, or told us this. Why would God kill us? Why would he tell us about the boy and all this kind of stuff if he's going to kill us? It's basically. So she basically calms him down. Quit freaking out. So then the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. Here we go with the story of Samson. And he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manadah, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. So um, next week we'll pick it up. Chapter 14, and we are going to look at the life of Samson and how God used Samson. Again, uh, a lot of bizarre things in the story of Samson that won't make a lot of sense. And things that took place and you wonder, what in the world is all this about? Again, you have to understand that God is dealing with people who were in great darkness. And, uh, and taking them where they were. The good news is, you know, God will take you where you're at. Okay? I've talked about this before. The one thing about faith, unlike other religions in the world, where you have to learn everything about that religion, and study about that religion, and meditate on that religion, do all the kind of stuff, and once you've gone through everything, then you can finally be accepted in that religion, and hopefully have an opportunity to experience their version of God. Unlike that, Christianity, you start with experiencing God. And then you learn. 
which means a lot of people, their fundamental understanding, even though they've experienced God and experienced Christ, and it's very real, and you start experiencing God, which is very cool, well, then now you've got to start learning. So God will take people wherever they're at, and some people have the craziest, goofiest ideas. Uh, sadly, they never grow because they never learn the Bible, and they stay in their goofy ideas. That's why you want to learn the Bible, so you can get a correct view of how God views things. But make no mistake, God loves you. He will take you right where you're at. He'll help you grow right where you're at. Uh, and you can experience his grace right away, even though you don't know everything. Even though you don't understand everything. Don't stay away from spiritual things because, yeah, I don't know that much. Don't not pray because, yeah, I don't know that much. It doesn't matter. Just wherever you're at, no matter what, even if it's is the most basic, fundamental, rudimentary understandings of Christianity is all you get, uh, that's okay. But grow from that. And uh, so anyway, that's what we see in the life of Samson and, and kind of some bizarre things that uh, we'll take a look at and uh, some great lessons in here about the life of Samson. And then uh, we'll pretty much be done with the book of Judges. It's almost done at that point. And then we'll see where we go from there. So anyway, y'all learning stuff? Growing from this stuff? All right, let's invite the ushers to take your offering. Offering! Shibboleth! Shibboleth! No, no, you want offering. That's, that's a lot of people. That's their shibboleths, man. Many of you talk about money. Ah! I knew that's all they were after. That's all they were It's not all that we're after. It's part of what we're after. No. <laughs> no, it helps us to do the work of God. And the Bible says, be generous. Give, and it will be given to you. Again, something that I encouraged in this article or, or this meeting with the newspaper people is that what we encourage people is to be generous even in times of trouble, even in times of difficulty. Because if you will give, God has promised that he will give back to you. What we try to teach people here is not to put their trust in the world's economy. Okay, it is what it is. Our hope, our trust should be in God's economy. And the good news is his economy supersedes everything else. Even in the midst of the hardest, most difficult times, you can still experience blessings in your life. And that's where we want to live. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement from your word. Help us to continue to grow from your word, to grow in our faith. Oh God, help us to be people that love people, that accept people because you've accepted them. Lord, help us to get rid of any shibboleths that we have. Lord, certain doctrines and certain ideas and certain concepts. Boy, if everybody doesn't agree with us, God, help us not to have any of that here. Help us to be a place that we love people where they're at and encourage people. And uh, that we can get along with each other, even if we don't always agree with each other and not have these shibboleths, religious or otherwise, or uh, political ones, or uh, race issue ones, or whatever else. God, help us to just walk in love, a shibboleth-free zone, hallelujah, because that's how you deal with us. We thank you for bless this offering, those who give now, Lord God, and do indeed, I pray, let your blessing shine upon them as they give in faith. Bless their lives. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.